I know firsthand more than once how hard that journey is and how alone you can feel and how in the beginning it can feel like you are never going to smile again or you're never going to be happy again. And as hard as those times are, I know that, that you will, that there will be light again. Mama! Let's reimagine mom life together. Mama House Goals is your hub for relatable support and helpful resources that help you fuel yourself alongside motherhood. Your identity is bigger than mom, and whatever your goals are, together we're making them a reality. We've all overcome something. We've all navigated something in life that we can share with others to help them learn and not feel alone. And I want to invite you to share your story, whether it's on a podcast, just with a text with a friend or with your kids or anyone else to allow yourself to heal through that process of sharing your story and also supporting and being there for someone that may be in a similar boat. Today, we're going to talk about a woman's story that I find so inspirational and so hard, but how she's navigated through all sorts of loss and overcome. And I do want to preface this with this is a warning that we are going to talk about child loss today. We're going to talk about different versions of child loss, stillbirth, miscarriage, after they've been born, we're going to talk about divorce. I do invite you to enjoy another episode if that's something that will not benefit you today. But this is a story that can bring healing. This is a story that truly allows us to know that even when there's hard, we can continue through and we can push and that doesn't make the hard go away. You're still in it. But what does that grief journey look like? Today's guest, Christina, is a wife, mama, former corporate executive turned content creator and lifestyle influencer who creates content focused around homestyle, motherhood, easy and quick meals, and holiday magic. You may find her on the internet under Everyday Alonzo, and she is based in Northern California's wine country. I met Christina and was so proud of her for telling me a little bit about her story and allowing herself to step into this community and share that with you. She has created quite the following online where she has shared some of this and also those other things that she talked about, easy and quick meals, holiday magic. I call her the Pinterest mom, but with reality because she doesn't shy away from the hard that's in life. It's not just this highlight reel, but she also allows herself to find beauty and fun in the day-to-day We talk about how she was engaged at 16 and stepped into marriage, resulting in not being the best partner for her forever, but how they truly stayed strong with co-parenting and some of the ways that they did that. Then stepping into losing her first son as a stillbirth, then stepping into having her son for 18 days in 2020, then having her rainbow baby and her daughter now Addie, and then another loss in 2022. Christina talks about how while she's overcome things, she's still in it. She's navigating. But this story is a story of inspiration, resilience, strength, and finding the light and what you are meant to do alongside the challenges that life gives you. Cannot wait for you to hear Christina's story. Dive on in. Today, we're releasing this on May 2nd. And while this episode talks about many losses that Christina has experienced, One of her sons is Asher, and Asher was lost after 18 days of life to a really rare disease that we talk about in this episode, and today is one day past his birthday. May 1st is his birthday, so we want to release this episode in memory of Asher and his brothers, and we want to send love to any of the parents that are grieving any other babies that are not here to celebrate their birthday and any other children. We are sending you so much love and we are thinking of you. Happy birthday, Asher. I am so excited for this conversation. Sometimes you meet people and you're like, where have you been all my life? I need to hear every part of your journey and every part of your story because you are such an inspiration, not always because life is perfect, but because you're navigating what's really hard in life as well. And Christina, you are such that person for me. I want to just take like 
a quick summary on to where you've really jumped to up to, we're going to talk about a real detail post-2020. But pre-2020, let's talk about some of the ways that you were kind of known for overcoming your first versions of your challenges. You got engaged at 16. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> and saying it out loud now always sounds so crazy. But I did. I um, was engaged to my first husband, my kid's dad, my oldest kid's dad at um, 16. And we got married one week after my 18th birthday. Um, I was still a baby. Yeah. <laughs> we um, we were raised in, in the church. And like, I felt like we were taught to believe like you dated, you got married, you had kids. And that's what we did. And we got pregnant with our daughter, Taylor, about a month after my our wedding and my 18th birthday. I remember like being in the hospital, having her and then being like, oh, do you want information on like teen parenting? And I was like offended. Yeah, I was married and we had planned to have her. But realistically, I was a baby. We we grew up together. Yeah. And so you navigated all these changes and people talk a lot about like growing together, growing apart, but you have so many beautiful children that came through that journey together. Talk about the years as they transpired. So we had Taylor in 2000, right? You know, right after I had turned 18, I got pregnant, we had her. And then 21 months later, her little brother, uh, my son Thomas was born. And so I had two babies as a baby myself. And um, we got divorced in... 2005, I believe. So my son was only two or three years old when we split up. Um, we didn't have the best marriage. I don't want to say it was bad. He wasn't a bad guy. He's still one of my favorite people. We just knew that we couldn't be married. Um, and we wanted the best life possible for our kids. And so we decided that they would have a better life with us not living together, arguing over stupid things all the time. But we also decided really early on that like, we still wanted them to have both of their parents. Uh, we did 50-50 custody. We um, did all of our parties together. We took family vacations together. As the kids got older, we ended up even living a condo like duplex with my new husband and his new partner. So we did, you know, we did the best that we could to like keep them one family instead of having two separate homes, two separate lives. And how insightful to maybe, you know, they say you can only connect the dots looking back, but perhaps if you had pushed that relationship out longer, it wouldn't have been able to end so positively. Perhaps that making that decision as the kids being quite a bit younger allowed you to truly stay one family. And I think one of the things that you shared with me that I thought was so powerful is you said, even when you would trade homes and kind of switch the kids' environments, you had a family meeting that you would sit down all together. So while they had multiple houses and multiple parents, they had one family that was really core still. Talk about how you kept that strong for really your kid's whole life. As you said, your youngest was about two when you made this decision to really stay forefront of, hey, we're going to make this one family. What are some of the things other than the family meetings that worked really well to do that? Um, their dad and I made sure that we communicated everything. Um, if one of the kids, you know, didn't do well on a test or one of them was misbehaving and had to have some, you know, um, something taken away or was grounded as they got older, we made sure that we like communicated those things to each other. Um, and sometimes things would happen like, you know, they would get something taken away and then it would be time to, switch homes and we would have our family meeting and catch up on those things. And then when they were with me, they would still have, you know, the video game or whatnot um, taken away because yeah. we wanted, we didn't want them to be able to like say, well, mom said, or dad said, we wanted it to be um, very cohesive. We, you know, attended school functions together, sporting events together. We just wanted to make sure that they still felt like a family and for a lot of people, you know, that may not work, but for us, it did. And even as we, you know, dated other people and got new relationships, it was really important to both of us that, that our new potential partners knew the dynamic of our relationship and, and how it worked for our kids and our family. Yeah. And so it is a little strange at first. I remember my current husband was like, what? But then once he met us and like saw how everything worked, it just 
it flows. I think it's a really beautiful balance. And to your point, it might not work with every family, but I think there's so much good in being able to have those conversations, like you said, of, hey, if this got taken away at this house or this was a boundary that had to be set, it's continuing to the other house and the other part of their life. Now, there's probably moments that that was less easy than others. If there was any advice that you could give to someone that's like, well, that doesn't sound super easy for me to adopt right now. What is one way that they could try to bring a little bit of this into their life? Or maybe if you think back to some of those conversations that weren't as easy, because I'm sure there were some that were a little more difficult where you kind of came back to basics of, hey, this is about the kids. What are some ways that you could kind of give advice around that? You know, it was also a, you know, a conscious decision that we made that we wouldn't disagree in front of them. Mm. So if um, my ex-husband was more of the disciplinarian, he, that's just his personality. And so they tend, they would tend to like have more restrictions when they were with him. And And sometimes I didn't necessarily agree with it, but I would talk to him outside of our family meeting or outside of in front of the kids and say, Hey, you know, do you think that maybe we could reduce the, you know, month long punishment to two weeks or, or whatnot. But I think that making sure that we communicated and that we didn't make it where the kids would feel that, um, I didn't want them to, you know, to, not want to be with their dad because mom let them have all the fun or vice versa. Sometimes I hear from divorced parents that they struggle because that they have their kids, let's say Monday through Friday. And so they have to do the bedtime and they have to do the homework where the other parent just gets to do the fun stuff. And so we wanted to make sure that with our kids, it wasn't like we equally had fun stuff and we equally did the punishment and taught them the values that we wanted them to have. Um, but we had to make that decision and it wasn't always easy there. You know, now that we're so far removed, it's harder to pinpoint the, you know, those specific situations, but I know that they were there. Yes. You know, we were together a long time. We were married for a while. So we also knew how to push each other's buttons. <laughs> and so there were times where, I, where it wasn't always Uh, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but it definitely, our kids, it definitely benefited our kids. Yeah. I feel like we did a really good job with that. And now that they're adults, I think that's a perfect thing to think about is you don't remember those hard moments per se. Like you're saying, I know they were there, but I don't necessarily remember specifically what those arguments or challenges were. And I think that's so insightful to look at if you're in it right now is how can I make these so that the overall we're coming back to we are one family we all we share these kids and in the moment these conversations may be difficult they may be challenging but in the future we're going to look back remember those were there but really we're just going to remember how we did well how we did good and mm-hmm. that's really where you're sitting now with you know adult children is being like hey we did these parts really good even though there might have been parts that were really difficult If you were to help give any advice on a blended family, ways to work through that, is there one thing that you see that you think you did really well that you would just give one more piece of advice? Because it's so situational, right? Like you said, it's so specific to the dynamic and what's going on. But having your kids also be adults at this point, is there anything you've heard from them maybe that you're like, hey, I loved that you did this or this is something that worked really well for us? Or now that they're adults, is there something that you guys still do to be engaged with them even as their own little adults? Yeah, I feel like, you know, really focusing on the fact that you want them to come first. Mm -hmm. 99.9% of parents, that is their goal, right? You want your kids to be happy and healthy and well adjusted. Um, And knowing that that is the goal, regardless of your feelings for each other, that really helps keep that in perspective. You want them to remember that you guys could talk or that you guys were getting along or that, you know, you could relationships can end, but you can still be friends, I think uh, is really important. And that, and that's something that my kids even talk about now that like, we were still there for them um, separately, but together for everything. Yeah. And so I think as you know, when the times are really hard, just remember that you're doing it for your kids, not for that other person. Yeah. 
Okay, shifting gears a little bit, your life story after post children really breaks up into like three really impactful decades of your life. And so that was decade one. Decade one was 2000, moving forward and navigating, stepping into parenting, going through divorce, co parenting. And then decade two comes along, 2009. Let's talk about 2009 and where that really shifted things for the first time for you and you really struggled. I'd love to hear Christian's story. So um, in uh, December of 2009, December of 2009, in general, was a really hard time for me um, mentally and physically. We had lost, um, in early 2009, we lost my uncle to a very short battle with lung cancer. And then in early December, we lost my grandma unexpectedly um, to an aortic aneurysm. And two weeks later, I was pregnant with Christian and went into premature labor. And I didn't know that I was in labor at the time. And I know a lot of people are like, well, how did you not know you've had other children? But the way that my body was reacting was just different. And when I went into the hospital, I was already in labor And he was born sleeping on December 27th of 2009. That whole story, we could probably talk about another time, but I was alone in the hospital when I had him. I ended up signing myself out against medical advice because I just couldn't, I didn't know how to deal with with anything really. You know, having to figure out a mortuary to pick up a baby and things like that. You just, you don't, it's not, it's not something you ever think that you're going to have to do. And that was, that was up until, you know, I, at that point, that was probably the worst thing that I have ever gone through. Um, You know, I can't say that now, unfortunately, but at that point in my life, it was, it was difficult. I had two, you know, other kids at home who were, you know, fairly young still who were expecting a baby brother and had to navigate their grief and explaining to them why this baby, you know, was in mom's tummy and now is nowhere. So that was, um, that was a pretty difficult time in my life. (laughs) Yeah. And this is something that you navigate forever going forward, right? It doesn't just end, the grief doesn't end, but what are some things that you have been able to do or some steps that you've taken that have helped remember Christian and have that be a chapter in your story and be able to process a little bit? Are there some things for anyone that's sitting there that you say, you know, this has been something that's been really helpful or on the flip side of it, you know, sometimes if we haven't walked that journey, we do things that are more hurtful than helpful to the our loved ones. What are some things that you could advise others to not do? I think that, that because it's such a hard topic to navigate for most people, you know, babies aren't supposed to die before their parents. And people don't know how to respond. You know, that we are doing better as a society talking about miscarriage. For so long, people didn't talk about miscarriage at all. And it's still one of those things that like, you know, people don't announce until after 12 weeks, just in case something happens. But I feel like you need support, whether you are 12 weeks along and lose a baby or you were, you know, you took a pregnancy test and it was positive and then, you know, it was negative the next day or, or whatnot. Women, I feel like have this attachment to a baby the second they see those lines on a, on a stick. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, I, you know, we delivered Christian and then we couldn't bring him home. And I think people don't know how to respond to that. And so people will say hurtful things like, oh, well, you know, maybe it's better this way, or God needed another angel, or, well, you can have more kids, like those things. Well, I know that people mean well, they are very hurtful, and not helpful. Um, Just, you know, thinking about the, the you can have other kids. Well, you know, you have two boys, what if I asked you to choose which one you got to keep, because you could have another one, you know, it just I don't think yeah. people think about it like that when they say those hurtful things. And then as far as like, things that you can do, I think it's a, such an individual thing. I remember 
that, you know, I, of course, I was ready for this baby. And so we had all of the clothing and all of, you know, the nursery things. And um, I would put everything in boxes. And then because I didn't want to see it, and then I would take everything out and like fold all the clothes again. And it was just like, it was just like the way that I dealt with it. Just look at everything. The hospital had taken some pictures for me. And so I would go through stages where I would want to see the pictures and hang them up in my house. And then I would take them down because it was really hard to see them. And I think that that is okay. Um, you know, af- you know, it's been quite a while now and we have um, memory things in our home and, you know, pictures in our home. I want my other children to still remember their siblings yeah. And so, but I think that whatever is, that is okay for your heart. I think it's such a hard thing to say because everybody grieves so differently. Yeah. And knowing that your grief process is perfect for you, you're going to grieve how, you know, is best for you. And so with that, knowing that everyone is different, you're often in this place when you are grieving or overcoming something that it's not helpful for someone to say, how can I help? Because you don't really want to have to think about it. You don't want to have to think. So sometimes it's more helpful if people just go and take action and help. But with everyone being different, you don't really know what that person needs. So what would you recommend to that person so that you're not creating more stress and more for that person to think about when they're hurting, but to also be able to provide help that's specific to that person? What What's a way that you can navigate that? So I talk about this quite a bit now, um, because in general, in life, when somebody's going through a hard time, we tend to say, let me know if there's something I can do for you. And I think we us as humans, we mean well, like we want to help people. But when you're going through something, when you're navigating something like child loss, loss of a spouse, even things just like, you know, you grieve when you lose a job or, you know, things like that. I think that it's helpful to just do. And like you said, that you may not know what that person needs, but there's things like send an email, like DoorDash gift certificate, or just drop off coffee on the doorstep and say, Hey, there's coffee outside if you want it. Um, in speak, you know, from child loss, I can say that like, we couldn't even make decisions on what we wanted to eat for dinner. It was just too Mm -hmm. much. And so those people who just sent food and, you know, maybe it wasn't our favorite thing, but we would eat it. And we were so grateful. Um, we couldn't ask for help because we didn't even know what we needed. And so just things off the top of my head, you know, coffee, food, hire a housekeeper, um, for somebody, especially if they have other kids at home, um, you know, when they're going through s- such heartache, you don't want to have to think about, you know, cleaning your toilets. And so that's something that's, you know, could be super helpful for people. But, uh, you know, you will never know, because most of the time, they're not going to be able to help you. But like, everyday life things that people need on a regular basis are going to be the most helpful, you know, or even if you just want to send something, a card saying, I'm thinking about you. um, But also, you don't want to just say nothing. (laughs) So there's it is a double edged sword. Because you know, you can say the wrong thing. But also, when you don't say anything, people feel like you don't care. And that may not be the case. It may just be hard for you to find the words. But even just something as simple as I'm thinking of you and you know, I'm holding space for you in this difficult time and, you know, anything like that. Yeah. And so that was a huge monumental piece, as I said, that decade. And then that decade went on to care for your children, to navigate this loss, to work through that. And then 2020 came around. And like you said, you wish that this was the hardest thing that you have dealt with in your life was losing Christian. Unfortunately, it's not the hardest thing that you've gone through. And so bring me up to 2020. So just going back a little bit in, I, like you mentioned, I was just, you know, focused on my kids and my job and, you know, moving forward with life. Um, I dated, you know, on and off, but nothing like super serious. And then in 2015, I met my current husband Um, We actually met on an app and we thought we knew each other and we talked for hours and hours. We ended up meeting and um, we were, have been together ever since. 
So we, we got together in 2015 and we got married in 2017. And um, around that same time I had um, advanced in my career. I was um, at that point, the executive director of a very large senior living community. We had just started like um, traveling more because our kids, my husband has two older kids as well. And so our kids were in high school, starting high school, and we had a lot more um, independence. We were not planning on growing our family at all. And in October of 2019, I found out that I was pregnant. And that was not in the cards. Like I had mentioned, um, I had actually been told that I wouldn't be able to have any more kids. So it wasn't even something that we were really thinking about at all. And then I found out I was pregnant and a pregnancy after loss, whether that be, you know, a miscarriage, a stillbirth, you know, a neonatal loss, like it is one of the hardest things that you will ever do. And I also think it's one of the bravest things that you will ever do. Um, we went through my pregnancy with Asher. We uh, were so excited to, you know, after the initial like shock of <laughs> being pregnant and then, you know, navigating that fear of loss again. Um, you know, we had done genetic testing, we had, you know, an infant like um, echo done on him, just like all the things that we could test just to kind of help my mind. Um, we did um, stress testing twice a week, um, up until he was born. And he was born May 1st of 2020. So that was right in the heart of the pandemic. The world had you know, shut down. They weren't allowing anybody at the hospitals. We were lucky that my husband was able to be there. Um, but that rule had been changing back and yeah. forth. And so we weren't sure up until the point that I went into labor, if he'd be able to be there with me. And so luckily he was, and Asher was born and he was perfect. Everything was great. We had 15 hours with him and he went into respiratory distress and they innovated him and called for a helicopter and he was airlifted to UCSF. They wouldn't let my husband or I go with them. They were not allowing visitors, more than one parent. So we, he was at UCSF for 18 days and we had to rotate who could see him every other day and travel from our home in Sonoma County to the UCSF um, in San Francisco every day. And he went on ECMO, which is like the highest form of life support to try to give his little body time to rest. We weren't sure what was wrong with him. They had some speculations, but they were just really doing anything that they could do to try to help him to breathe and we ended up doing genetic testing and got the results shortly after he had passed. And he had a mutation in his FOXF1 gene, which caused avular capillary dysplasia, which is a, there's no cure for that yet. They sometimes can do a lung transplant. I think it's been done twice for infants. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't an option for us. So we said goodbye on May 18th of 2020, again, right in the middle of the pandemic. So none of our family got to meet him. We were there together uh, the day he passed, but I think that was because I made a scene in the hospital and they let us both up there and then didn't kick either one of us out. But um, yeah, so that was May of 2020. And so we had 18 days with him. And that's a situation that there are like no words. There's nothing after that to say to all of the loss that you've already experienced. And then to do all this testing and go through this pregnancy. And like you said, it's so brave, but so difficult. And then to have the situation with Asher, it's just so hard. And I know now you speak to these different diseases and the things that you can you know, be an advocate for Asher and still live for Asher and have him be a person that makes a difference and a person that we remember and that we live through. But what did that grieving process look like? And what were some of the similarities with Christian or were they completely different grieving experiences? They were completely different. 
I think if I had to like put my finger on why other than, you know, every child is different and every point in your life, you, you know, you go through things, things are different. I think so with Asher is that we had 18 days with him. Mm -hmm. We had the 15 hours where everything was fine. And then we had the 18 days with him and we, you know, were fighting for him and we were trying everything that we could do to help him. And in my mind, like he had to make it through. Um, in my mind, like it was not possible for God to take two babies from me. Like I just didn't, I couldn't believe that something like that would happen. And so when it did, it was just a completely different process. I was angry. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was sad and I was sad for my husband and my kids. Like they were having to go through that again. I was mad at myself for putting Asher through the 18 days of treatments that were not going to help him. I think, you know, you do the best you can with the information that you have. And I think, you know, I stand behind that, like, you know, we did everything that we could, mm -hmm. you know, if I would have known from day one, that that's what he had and that there was nothing that we can do and that he was just suffering, I probably wouldn't have made those same changes those same decisions, but I didn't know. And so I, we did the best that we could with that. Um, my older kids were a lot older at the time. And so I didn't necessarily have to take care of them. You know, yes, I worried about them and their grief process, but it really, it was just myself. Um, and it was very hard mm -hmm. to, it was, you know, the darkest days of my life. Um, it was very, very hard. And then in the midst of that, I had this like need. It was almost like an obsession to have another baby. And I had not planned on having any more kids. And then once I was pregnant with Asher, like I, I think I just got used to that idea of having another baby. And then I was excited. And then I had him and then he was taken from me. I had like, I needed to have another baby. And I like, started Googling all the things. And like, I, you know, had talked to my doctor. And he said, you know, he didn't see any reason why we couldn't have another baby. Um, you know, with my age, I was 40 at the time with my age, or 39, almost 40. They he said, I may need to see like a fertility doctor. Um, which is something my husband and I said we weren't going to do. Like, I just knew that I wouldn't be able to handle the stress of, of that, but we wanted to, and try to have another baby. Mm -hmm. Um, I asked, you know, I had spoken to two genetics doctors just to, you know, make sure that like what Asher had, we, you know, we wouldn't happen again. And even though you never really know, I don't think you can ever have like that certainty. We decided that we were going to try for another baby. And we got pregnant with Adeline and we did again, all the testing that we could do, um, all the monitoring that we could do. And she was born in June of 2021 and perfectly healthy. Mm -hmm. She is almost two now and <laughs> brings so much joy and, um, light into our lives. And she was, you know, exactly what our hearts needed, yeah. um, it doesn't replace, you know, she doesn't replace Christian or Asher, but she has brought such healing to our hearts. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, for everybody that that is not always an option. Having another child is not always the, you know, and I'm, and I would never say like, Oh, have another baby and it'll make it better because it doesn't make it better. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does bring some joy and I think that that's something else that we've learned firsthand that joy and grief can definitely coexist and they do. Yeah. What are some ways that you navigate anxiety alongside these things? Because anxiety is present for, I believe, everyone for the most part in life. And then it's um, really just kind of gasoline added to it when you have trauma or experiences that make life extra, extra tough. What are some ways that you're aware of how that impacts parenting and how did that impact your pregnancy with Addie that you could maybe lend some support or is it just taking day by day and that's all you can do? It's definitely taking it day by day. 
getting the assistance that you need. I was on medication my whole pregnancy with Addie. I was on Zoloft, a low dose of Zoloft. I continued it even after she was born. Um, and therapy, I had weekly therapy that we paid for out of pocket. It wasn't anything that our insurance would cover, but it was something that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was more or less just so that I didn't feel crazy. I could tell Allison, like, you know, these are the things that I'm thinking or feeling or, you know, and knowing that like, that was okay, um, to feel those things. And, um, but then there's other things, you know, outside of the therapy and the medication, like I spent a lot of time in prayer. I had mentioned that I was angry and I was angry at God, but I also believe that, you know, that I serve a big enough God that I can say those things to him and tell him how I feel. And I also found comfort in that getting outside, getting my hands in the dirt. My husband and I both spent a lot of time like out in our garden and planting and, I, you know, I've always had a few plant house plants, but now we have like 40 because it was just how I like managed that mm. keeping my, keeping my hands busy and my mind busy. I listened to a lot of podcasts because I could just put my headphones in and listen to people's conversations and not feel so alone without having to talk to people who like didn't know what to say to me or how to act around me Yeah, because it, it can feel very, very isolating. And so the podcast for me was a great way to feel connected to people without having to have those awkward conversations. Yeah. And a lot of the podcasts you listened to were about the things you were navigating, right? And I think that's so important that we often feel really alone in our situation, but it takes seeking out those conversations. Talk a little bit about how you found that. Where Was podcasting new to you? How did you find people talking about these things to support you? So actually, the one of the podcasts that I had listened to almost religiously, I found from a Facebook group, um, I had looked up, I think I was looking up what Asher's disease was, and like connected with a mom who, who told me about the a couple support groups. And then that's how I found the one podcast that I listened to almost religiously. I did have to, in the middle of my pregnancy with Addie, I did have to stop listening to that podcast because I was creating worst case scenarios in my mind all the time. Mm -hmm. Because this podcast was for mamas who lost babies, or, you know, they did talk about pregnancy after loss or navigating life limiting diagnosis, things like that, that are very helpful. But for me at that time, I had to not add any more to my anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think just word of mouth. Also, I feel like this club of lost moms, which, you know, is like the worst club to be a part of, but the moms are so supportive. Yeah. Um, and even now, you know, some of my closest support people are moms that I've met who have lost babies. Mm -hmm. And talk about how that relates to your association and your conversations in real life. And were there some boundaries you had to set with people you saw in person, people that you noticed weren't, you don't have to say who they were, but any, so, you know, boundaries you had to set to say like, okay, I can't be hanging out with this person as much, or I can't be talking to this person as much because they're not making me feel good when it comes to either my grieving and my working through these situations or while you were pregnant with Addie. I think it was more, um, of me versus them. Um, I know that in the beginning of losing Asher, it was even hard for me to be around my mom, who I love her, you know, more than life. Like she's one of my favorite people, but like she was grieving and hurting. And I felt like I couldn't make her feel better. And I know that that wasn't her expectation. But yeah. for me, it was hard because I didn't want to see her upset and crying. Um, and so it took a while for me to be around other, you know, even my family, the good thing, if there is a good thing is that it was during the pandemic. And mm -hmm. so we weren't spending a lot of time with people. Um, but I did lose friends after Asher had passed moving forward with life after something like that is so difficult to navigate. You I just didn't have energy. I didn't have the bandwidth to engage in conversations um, to, 
I'm the type of person where if I'm having a conversation with you, I really do want to hear like about what you're going through and about your life. And I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle anything else than just like getting up and remembering to breathe. (laughs) And so I did lose friendships. Some, you know, some of my people, and I guess maybe they weren't even friendships because they, you know, thinking about it now, I don't even know how the right, what the right way to say it is, but like, the relationship wasn't as port- as important as I thought it was yeah. um, because we couldn't navigate that, you know, and they do say people are there for reasons, seasons, or lifetimes. And so those people in my life may have just been there for the seasons prior to Asher. Yeah. So one of the transitions that you were having during this time was also your career life. So let's talk about what that looked like when you started to make shifts in your career and how it brought you to where you're at now. Yes. So I, you know, of course, was on pregnancy disability when I had Asher. And after he had passed, I had extended that. Like I had mentioned, my job was an executive director for a really large senior community. So not only did we have 300 residents, senior residents, there was 120 so staff that I was in charge of. And mentally, I was not able to do that. Um, I took quite a bit of time off and then eventually I did go back. But when I went back, my heart wasn't there like it needed to be. Mm -hmm. And I had an amazing assistant who actually runs her own community now, um, who was covering for me while I was gone. And she was carrying a lot of the load when I came back. And it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was fair to her to the residents, to the staff, to not have me at 100%. When you work in that kind of field, your heart has to be there to be able to do the job. It's a hard job. You're dealing with a lot of people, a lot of emotions, people's livelihood. Um, And my heart wasn't there. And I, you know, had talked with the, um, my boss and their boss and said that I needed to step down. Um, my original plan was to step down from my position. And I, at this point, I was pregnant with Adeline. And so my original plan at that time was to come back. Um, but then decided as I was gone with Addie that I, I couldn't return. I had to resign from, from my corporate job. And did you have a plan when you made that decision? Or was it just like, I can't, I can't do this. I don't know what's next. It was a little of both. So while I was home, I have started sharing more of our life on social media. It what started out kind of as like, a, I guess, like a, a way that helped me grieve, um, just sharing, you know, home decor, things like that, things that I loved. It was a way like a creative outlet that kind of helped me grieve. It kept it evolved to more. And then once I was pregnant with Adeline and had Adeline, I started creating more content and working with some brands, although I had didn't get paid for almost a year for any of my work. Um, but when I finally decided to leave my corporate job, I had told my husband, like, I have to make this work. Um, just um, being home with her was not an option for us financially. Um, and so I needed to be able to bring in a source of income, but I just knew that I couldn't leave her. Yeah. And so I started, um, when brands would reach out to me for partnerships, I would start to say that I needed to be paid. And it started out, I think my first paid partnership was like $50 and I was ecstatic. I could not believe that somebody was going to pay me to post their product on my social media. And just for like context, let's give a range of what you get paid for the same type of work now. Uh, thousands. Yeah. So yeah, I went through a mastermind, a business mastermind early 2022 last year. Um, and they looked at my rates and were like, um, <laughs> you should be, you should be charging a lot more for your work. And when you think about it, it's not just taking a picture and putting it up on social media. There's you know, um, your time, writing your caption, the editing, the equipment that you use, all of the time and effort that goes into it. Um, If a brand was paying a marketing agency, they would pay, you know, probably three or four times what they even pay for my work. 
and you're bringing them the audience. You're not just bringing the content. You also, if you share it on your page, are yes. bringing them the audience and the buyers. And that's worth a lot. Yes. And so I um, I decided that I had to make it my full-time job. And I have now. It is my, my full-time job. And it is also something that I really enjoy. I love what I do. You know, just like having any kind of business for your, you know, working for yourself, especially there are stressful things to navigate. Um, being a business owner is, is a lot of work, um, but it's something that I absolutely love. And I feel like I'm able to be home with my daughter and spark that creativity as well as share and connect with women all over the world, which you can't really put a price on that. So, yeah. And I just love the story of that because it's not like you went out and you're like, I'm going to be an influencer. You shared your real story and you said, I have a need to be able to be home and make enough to stay home with my daughter. I'm going to use my story and my skills to create an opportunity for myself. And then once you stepped into that, you said, now I'm going to find someone that can help me do it better. I'm going to find a, a coach or a mastermind, a, a resource to help me learn how to do this a little bit better. And now you have a pretty lucrative business and a great following to allow yourself to have this creative outlet. And like you said, it's probably not all sunshine and rainbows. It's still a job. It's still a business. You have to make different decisions. But I just pride you so much on the problem solving abilities to figure out how am I going to make this work for me? And what can I learn? And what can I do? And your content still has such a heart behind it. I told you I say for me, I get this feeling of like real life, but with like Pinterest mom, you have the <laughs> cutest ideas, you have the cutest content, but it's also real life. Like, if we have anything from your story, it is not all sunshine and rainbows. There is so much hard that you have navigated, so much that you continue to navigate, but you found an outlet to allow yourself to live life as it currently is right now and process everything else. And I just think it's so inspirational. So I love watching it. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I f is really important for me is that you only see 10% of people's lives, mm -hmm. even the, you know, the influencers with a million followers who are on their stories all day long, you see probably 10% of their life and only what they want you to mm -hmm. see. And uh, most people don't want to get on social media and talk about the hard things. Um, and when people are scrolling social media, a lot of people don't want to hear they want, it's their outlet to kind of zone out at the end of the day. And so I try to do a balance of both where I never want people to think that everything is, you know, using the term again, sunshine and rainbows, you can still have the grief and the joy together. Mm -hmm. um, you have to, uh, there's no way it's not like one day you wake up and there's just no more grief. You just learn how to navigate it. But you still want to live a life that's beautiful and that has meaning. And uh, one of the things I like to do is just provide inspiration. I've been a mom now for almost 23 years. And so a lot of the things that I do with Adeline, I did with Taylor and Thomas when they were little. And so now I just have a way to share those things to give other moms ideas. Yeah. But I also share the hard stuff. You know, we went through another loss after we had Adeline in July of. 2022. And when I shared our journey with Jackson, I did lose some of my following. Mm. You know, obviously, they weren't the people who needed to be there or that I would want to be there. Um, mm -hmm. But I do find that sometimes when I do share the harder stuff, um, I do lose following numbers. But I want to always share the good and the bad. And you also probably create deeper relationships with some of your current following. Like some of the people I'm sure reached out to you and said, thank you for sharing this. And, you know, thank you for sharing your story. I resonate with you. And you may have lost some numbers, but like you said, those probably aren't the people for you. And I know that even just as I've stepped into sharing my life and my journey and my business online, there's going to be people on both ends of the spectrum and you have a larger following at this point. Talk about some of the ways that that allows you to be like, wow, I'm so happy I'm doing this. And also this is hard. So one of my favorite things, which also 
at the same time is awful is when somebody will reach out and say, somebody told me about your page. You know, we found out that I, you know, my baby has this diagnosis or we lost our baby a month ago. And I love that they feel like they can come to me. I always want to be able to be a support and a resource for people because I know firsthand more than once how hard that journey is and how alone you can feel and how in the beginning it can feel like you are never going to smile again or you're never going to be happy again. And as hard as those times are, I know that that you will, that there will be light again. Um, and so I love that I can connect with people on that level and also on other levels, like talking about the anxiety, what comes with a pregnancy after loss or generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people feel, and I know that I felt it myself, like when you're having those moments that you feel like you're crazy. And I want people to know that that you're not and that it's okay. And you know, I share some of the ways that I've dealt with or am dealing with those types of things. Also, everybody is so different. And so I think when you share your life on the internet, I think it gives people this like false sense of entitlement to comment on your life. Yeah. I like use an example of like, I, I'm lucky in the aspect that I have a really good following. The people that um, I connect with on my social media are wonderful. Um, but I do see other people where the people are like, you know, your nose is too big, your shirt is ugly, your, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, I never in my life would I ever think to walk up to somebody in Target and tell them that their shirt is ugly. Like I may think like I wouldn't wear something like that, but I would never say to just a random person. But for some reason, when people are online, um, but I still feel like this is your space, yeah. right? They say, well, you're sharing your life. Yes, but you wouldn't go into somebody else's home or you know, wherever and say these things. And so I think you have to know also that it's going to come with the territory and really be rooted in like who you are and have those people in your life that you can, you know, that really do know you and can say, you know, no, your nose is not too big (laughs) or or what, whatever the, you know, that's probably a bad example, but there's the kinds of comments that people say the craziest things. I see people comment on other people's pages. And like you said, like so far I have mostly good things, but every now and then you're like, wow, You know, and I think it comes back to just like kind of praying for those people, if you will, because Mm -hmm. it's really sad that that's how they're living their life is scouting the Internet and making horrible comments and things. But it is it's like you're you're choosing to share a portion of your life on the Internet. But it doesn't mean that you've opened the doors for people to say bad things. They get to choose to follow you. They get to choose to comment. You're not saying, hey, you must follow me and watch all my content. So (laughs) it is it is really crazy. You know, I think with having your outlet through your community and your business, there's so much positive in that. But like we've talked about throughout this time together, you're still always navigating those hard parts and grief. And I always think of it as a mountain with different summits. And it's like you get up and you get to the summit and you may see a little bit of a view and you may be able to have a break. And then if you want to keep going, you got to keep going up the next summit. And the the grieving process really never ends. The challenges really never end. And and so I believe that we're always still in it. And I know that you resonate with still being in it. So talk a little bit about what does day-to-day navigation look like for you? Are there some things that you do on a regular basis to support this journey? Or is it truly just trying different things out every day? Being where we are now, you know, almost three years since Asher passed, almost a year since Jackson passed, um, their good days outweigh the bad days. Do I think about them every day? Absolutely. Um, Are there still moments in every day where I like wish that they were here? Absolutely. But it's not always so heavy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that really helps is when when I do have those heavy moments, I know that it won't always feel that way, that there will be happy times. Um, it's, It's a weird place to be, especially having a younger child still at home, because when she's learning so many new things and doing so many new things it can be really bittersweet because while I'm so excited to see her 
learning new words or, you know, body parts or whatever it may be, I'm also acutely aware that my boys will never experience that. And so it's, there are moments in every day where I'm like, man, you know, it's, it sucks. But also I do enjoy, you know, every moment that I get with her. Um, But I also give myself grace to feel those feelings Mm -hmm. and to, you know, know that it's not going to be so tough always. And there are, you know, there's days where I'm, you know, everything reminds me of one of them or, you know, I just am missing them more than, you know, than the normal missing. And so I just allow that, allow myself to have that. And I also feel like then I'll share them. I think a lot of it is I feel like people are forgetting. And that's one of the the hardest things I think for lost moms is that you still remember every single moment and the world doesn't necessarily think about it as often. Yeah. And you don't want them to be forgotten. And so I'll share a, a picture. I, you know, I have obviously a lot more photos of Asher than I do of Christian or Jackson. Um, and we have more memories and time with Asher. And so I tend to share more of his, um, his story, but it doesn't mean that the other boys aren't important either, but I just have more of, of his things to share. And so when I'm having those times, I share him with the world so that I can feel like he's still in other people's memories as well. Yeah. If there was a mom that is challenged right now with loss, grief, regardless of where it may stem from, what is one step that they could take this week or today to help themselves a little bit? And I know that's really personal. So maybe maybe there isn't one answer, but if there's something that you would recommend, whether it's going outside or sharing on you know social or with a friend, sending a text, what is one thing that you would recommend to most people if it fit their journey? I think allowing yourself to feel the feelings and then do something with those feelings. Um, sometimes I, we have a memorial garden at home that we've made for the boys. So sometimes I'll just sit out there and enjoy the breeze and drink my coffee and just spend time with them. I know that that's not where their bodies are or their spirits are, but just I feel closer to them there. Um, all right. I, you know, I have a blog and so I have a, I don't want to say I'm a writer, but I do enjoy writing. And so I'll write to them or listen to music that like reminds me of them, things like that, just a way to feel connected still. I think that that can be a big help um, for me. And, you know, some people, they the way that they need to deal is to to remove those memories, right? But for me, I feel like drawing into them helps me move forward. Mm. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Christina. I know it is still being written and there are so many things to continue to come, but I really appreciate you sharing what you have navigated with us today. What are the places that people can connect with you? Talk to us about your Instagram, TikTok, your blog, all the ways that people can continue to be a part of your story, your journey and uplifted by you. So Instagram is my bread and butter. It's where I share most of our journey. Um, and you can find me on all the socials, actually, at Everyday Alonzo. Uh, my blog is also Everyday Alonzo. And on my blog, you can sign up for my email. Like I send out a weekly like email newsletter. And so um, I share a lot of recipes and you know tips for home decor or life or things like that um, on my blog, as well as my social media channels. Thank you so much, Christine. We'll link all that below. And like I said, I love your content. I think it's this perfect balance. It's truly mama has goals. It is navigating all the hard. It is navigating the difficult that comes with life and finding joy through that alongside of it, not overcoming it because we're always still in it. And also just the realness of having a little toddler and what that looks (laughs) like now in that journey. Christina, what is something that you're excited about when it comes to Mama Has Goals and having a goal? What is something that you're currently navigating more heavily or excited about working through? I think just continuing, um, you know, I've made it a goal this year to share my story more with the world. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that we navigate as women, as moms, and we try to do it alone. And so my goal is to share more of those life things with 
with other women and mamas and just walk beside them in their journey, not just, you know, not just share what I've been through, but, but try to help them navigate them as they're going through them. Do I have any like big goals? Like, you know, eventually maybe someday I'll write a book or (laughs) do something like that. But I think right now, and especially this season in my life with having a, a toddler at home, who's always on the go, I think just being able to connect with other moms and even more so like in our community um, and with on social media. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much. And, you know, I can't wait to follow along. And I know Addie's just going to be so proud of how you've handled everything in this life up to here and just kept it real in the sense of it doesn't always feel good, but we can continue to work towards what the next light is and see what's coming. So thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sometimes the smallest act of love is all a mom needs to feel reinvigorated. If you can relate to that, I'd feel so supported by your five-star rating and written review. Take a moment and let me know what you thought about this episode.